Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. If you've been with us for the last couple weeks, we've been going through a series called Following Jesus to the Cross, which is a series about discipleship, about what it means to be a disciple. And so we're going to be kind of going through this uh, this today. Um, you know, we've been walking with Jesus as he journeys uh, through the book of Matthew, as he um, is journeying with his disciples to Jerusalem after he announces that he's going to die on the cross. And it's as they start their journey that Jesus invites anyone who would want to come after him to take up their own cross and die with them. And this is sort of the call of discipleship, that when we come to follow Jesus, it isn't just um, a something we get, like a cert- certificate, um, but it's an actual cross. We identify with Jesus in everything, that he, um, he, if we follow him, then nothing in our lives can be off limits. And so we've been kind of walking through that for the last couple weeks. I think it's common in our culture when we talk about Jesus and following Jesus, we really wish Jesus was more like a menu, you know, like, okay, I want the A, B, and C, um, but I don't really want D when it comes to following Jesus. Like, hey, you know, I'll take the forgiveness, I'll take loving my neighbor, but when it comes to <clears throat> the things that I want control over, maybe, um, maybe my money or um, maybe what I think about sex or whatever, like we want maybe to keep some of those things and we kind of pick and choose like, okay, I want you know, it's, uh, A, B, and D, but I don't want C. And what we find out is Jesus doesn't really give us options like that. Um, that if we're going to follow Jesus, then we have to follow him all the way and trust that he knows best and trust in his control over our own. As we follow him, Jesus actually kind of deconstructs some of the ways that we think um, so that we can live more like him. We can live more in his image. And discipleship is really a, a process of being, like, continually dismantled and rebuilt. You know, any, any car guys here just, like, taking things apart? None. Okay. I was really looking for a mechanic. Hey, Trent, in the back. Awesome, man. Good. Um, no, but, you know, Jesus is continually dismantling and reassembling um, our lives as we follow him. And no one is immune to that. And so as we come to this passage today, in Matthew, we get to see Jesus dismantle somebody who you wouldn't think, looking at him, that he would need to be dismantled. Um, we get to this encounter that Jesus has with this rich and influential young man. Um, he's a young up-and-comer. He's a good kid. Um, but Jesus completely dismantles him in this moment. And so uh, we're going to read this morning in Matthew 19, verse 16 through 26. And it says this, it says, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's a pretty long list. (coughs) Um, But the young man said to him, 
All these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You know, this is maybe one of the more challenging conversations in Scripture. You know, when you think about, you know, here's this guy who's trying so hard, who's on the outside, looks like this great candidate to be a disciple, and yet when he meets Jesus, um, he leaves grieving. You know, he leaves kind of in this state where he, he can't follow Jesus. And um, I know we're in the college basketball season. Um, I know at least I have one college basketball fan in here. How many, if you're, if you're a college basketball fan, raise your hand. All right, we got a few. Okay, cool. All right, that connect more than uh, cars. That's interesting. Um, but, um, you know, in college sports, they talk about blue chips, right? You've heard of blue chips? Blue chips are like the, the recruit that you know are just going to succeed. Like they have all the skills, uh, they have the talent, they have the size, they have the build. Like they're the guys that every team wants. And so, um, you know, when LeBron James was in high school, you know, I, I remember seeing magazines of like the next great superstar. And they were totally right. Like he became this big superstar. Everybody's talking about this guy, Zion Williamson now, coming out of Duke who's going to be big. Anyway, if you're not into basketball, you're tuning out right now. So, sorry, but the <coughs> the idea is that we kind of have, um, you know, we kind of put labels on people like most likely to succeed, you know, and, and we have this idea um, sometimes where where people are most li- likely to succeed in their faith. Like we can get kind of the wrong impression of, of there being spiritual blue chips so to speak. You know, when this young guy comes in, he's got success written all over him. You know, not only does he have money, he also has, like, the morality. Like, he'd be the best candidate for, like, the Christian version of The Bachelor, right? Like, he's, he's just this, this um, you know, all-star type guy. And, um, you know, when he, comes to, uh, when he comes to Jesus, it's kind of surprising, you know, this is a guy who's honored his parents. He loves his neighbors. Um, you know, he's tried to try to do all these things. And um, I can I can tell you, I kind of connect with this guy. Um, my parents are here, but I grew up in a Christian home, and um, I I went to church and youth group. Um, you know, I did. I stayed away from all the bad things that you're supposed to stay away from. And um, I, but I remember my faith journey was sort of stuck in, in that. It was what do I need to stay away from? What do I, um, you know, I don't have tattoos, but I'm thinking about getting some. So if you know, no, I'm kidding. Um, but you know, who knows? Um, but you know, uh, that, that being a, a moral person or a good person can, can be what we define being a Christian or living kind of a safe life or, a, um, you know, checking boxes and avoiding bad things can kind of be what we associate as, as faith. 
And ultimately, for me, it kind of led me to burn out. Because just living a, a good and moral life, like it, it, it's not sustainable. And so um, what this passage reveals is that there's this big difference from being sort of the most likely to succeed, from being that like spiritual blue chip, um, to actually following Jesus as his disciple. Like there's a big difference there. And when this, you know, this young man has chased being, you know, being a moral person, being a good person, and he, he has all the stuff and he's done all the things and still something's missing. He's still asking Jesus, what do I still lack? Like something's incomplete. And I think that's something that we, we can wrestle with too. You know, we can try really hard and then we can ask Jesus, you know, what am I missing in my faith? Why do I still not feel complete? Why do I still feel like there's something missing? You know, I'm trying so hard to be someone that God would want, but yet I'm still not feeling like I'm, I'm getting it. And so this young guy comes to Jesus looking for affirmation, looking for some sort of spiritual affirmation. You know, he had fulfilled all the obligations, but he was still looking for something more. And when he comes to Jesus, instead of getting affirmed for what he's done, he gets dismantled because of where his heart is at. And the first thing is that Jesus uh, dismantles his definition of good. You notice that? Jesus says that there's only one that is good. And uh, that means there's no, um, no moral all-stars, that Jesus speaks the truth that's consistent with the rest of Scripture. And um, there's this verse in Isaiah that's also found in Romans that I want to read. Um, it's in Romans 3.10. It'll also be on the screen. But, um, you know, Jesus is speaking the truth that, that Scripture's um, spoken for years. And it's just that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So according to this passage, who's good? Like, no one is good, right? No one seeks for God. Only God is good. And so for this guy, like, there's nothing that he can add to his life to make him good. Even this guy who's tried all these things, um, there's nothing that he can add to make him good enough for heaven. And, and the Bible shows us that we aren't good people that need to get better. Um, we're actually ruined people that need to be transformed. And, um, you know, recently uh, I had something really devastating happen. I, uh, I burned a plate of bacon in the oven. It's just total loss. Uh, I was home on my day off, and I got distracted, and then, you know, the smell. It's like, oh, no. Um, you know, but as much as I wanted to save that bacon, once it's burned, you can't really save it, right? Like, there's no amount of, like, butter or brown sugar that you can put on the bacon to make it taste good. It's just burned. And this is a weird example, but it's sort of like what we are, right? We're not, we're not like good that needs to be better. We're actually this, what was beautiful at one point, right? <laughs> that is ruined. And, um, and so we, we can't do anything in, of ourselves to make us any better. We actually need to be completely transformed. Uh, we need a miracle. And so no matter what this kid adds to his life, like he'll never be good enough for God. 
he actually, even though he's tried so hard to live a moral life, um, he actually has to be completely transformed by Jesus. He has to die to himself. He has to be remade. And so Jesus kind of goes with him on this journey. First he starts off and he says, okay, so you've, you've kept some laws, which is good. But if you want to be perfect enough for heaven, then you need to sell everything you have and give it away and come follow me. Which is the part where we're like, seriously? <laughs> Jesus? Like, you know, are, we're wondering, like, is Jesus like kind of being a jerk in this situation? Like, we're like, come on, Jesus, just let the guy in. You know, if we look at it from sort of the, the blue chip idea, you know, we, we, you think, man, Jesus, this guy could be a huge booster for your program, you know? Like, this guy could attract other wealthy and moral people to the club. Like, why are you, you know, why, why are you being a jerk to this guy? And it, the thing is, is like, none of that really matters to Jesus. Jesus isn't after any external thing that this guy can offer. Uh, Jesus is after this guy's heart. I mean, it says in, in Mark that Jesus loves this kid. Uh, the Gospel of Mark says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Like, he felt compassion for this guy. He wanted him to follow him. He wants, he wants his heart. He wanted his uh, affection. He wanted to be what this guy wanted. Um, but this guy clearly, uh, clearly missed it, you know, and, and what this guy was after was more of like what's measurable, you know, like, okay, I checked the box, I, I honored my parents, um, I, I uh, haven't killed anyone, um, you know, I haven't had sex outside of marriage, I haven't stolen anything, you know, I'm not a liar, check, check, check. And sometimes we can treat our faith like that, we can get more focused on like what's measurable, and, uh, you know, we might read our Bible and, and go to church and stuff like that. But what Jesus is really concerned about is not what's going on externally, but what's going on internally. And the commandment that this guy had missed was not all the, all the ones that you can see on the outside. It was the number one commandment, which was, you shall have no other gods before me. Um, Moses says it another way in Deuteronomy 6, 5, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This man wanted Jesus to assure him that he was on the right track, but what Jesus was asking for was his whole heart, was all of him submitted to, uh, to following him. And Jesus isn't after like what we have to offer. He's not after a spiritual resume. He's after our heart. He's not interested in, in, you know, our wealth or anything like that. He never um, thinks in, in terms of what does this person have to offer me, but does this person really love me? Like, does this person really want me? Am I really what this guy wants? And so our first point today is that Jesus exposes what we truly want. Like, what do we really want? Because do we, do we really want Jesus? Or do we just want his blessing? You know, is that, what are we after? Do we really want to be close to Jesus? Or do we just want his blessing? You know, I think often we want to live the way we want to live, and we want God's stamp of approval. But what Jesus is asking is for our heart to be engaged, um, for our heart to seek him more than anything else. 
And so that's where Jesus challenges this young man. It's, are you willing to love me more than your stuff? Are you willing to let go of your old life, even though it seems good, um, to, to get a new life in me? And the thing for this guy is that his old life was pretty good. Like, he had a good thing going already, so he didn't really want to surrender that life. He just wanted to add to that life. And what this passage reveals is that part of the lie of wealth and just being a good moral person is that it leads us to think that we're good enough, like that we can build up enough security for ourselves, um, and, and it can lead us to think that we actually don't really need Jesus, like we're doing pretty good without him, um, bec- and, and that he'd be a good like cherry on top of what we've got going on, but Jesus wants to be so much more than that. Um, the truth of this is that following Jesus, no matter who you are, will disrupt your life. Like, Jesus is disruptive. Um, Jesus might disrupt what you intend for your life, your dreams. He might disrupt your routine. Um, You might have one plan of, I want my life to go this way, and then Jesus says, no, actually, we're we're going this way, Um, and that's okay. You know, that's journeying with Jesus. And sometimes I think what scares us the most about following Jesus is what it could cost us. Um, I had a friend who worked construction, and he felt like Jesus was calling him to give up his truck, which for a construction guy is a big deal. Um, But he did, and he started walking to work with, like, a toolbox and a lunch pail. And guys would, like, pull up to the side and be like, dude, are you okay? And be like, yep, I'm good. And the reason is he wanted to spend time praying on the way. He wanted to be present in his community. And so he thought, you know, if I, if I sell my truck, I'll have more time to spend with God. And God might not be calling you to sell your truck, so it's okay, guys, all right? He might not be calling you to sell your truck. But the question is, how tightly do we hold on to our stuff? How tightly do we say, no, life has to look this way? Um, are we willing to let Jesus disrupt our life, disrupt our routine? Because hanging out with Jesus will expose what we love more. Who do we love more? What do we love the most in life? And so this passage is sort of this, this hard call of following Jesus to our culture. You know, it challenges some of the gods that our culture worships. You know, and, and if you think about it, we live in, in, in a beautiful corner of a, of a really prosperous nation. You know, there's only a handful of nations on earth that, that have, like, the kind of personal freedom, the economy, um, the safety, those sort of things that we have in this culture. So um, it'd be, you know, it, it would be uh, sort of foolish for us to think that we don't, like, have this kind of struggle. You know, we have all this choice. We can choose our career, our friends, where we live, our house, all that stuff. And so for us, the danger is that we could build a life that's really good that would be really hard to give up to follow Jesus. Um, That we could end up loving the life that we've built more than we actually love Jesus and are willing to follow Jesus. Um, That's why as Jesus talks to his disciples, he says, Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like a camel going through the eye of a needle, which is a pretty crazy statement. 
you know, but what he's saying is like that would take an act of God. <laughs> like it's a miracle. With God, all things are possible. Um, but it's sort of like being willing to surrender your stuff, like your truck or whatever, like that is a miracle. And so we shouldn't be satisfied with living um, mediocre Christian lives that are just sort of like um, concerned with, our, with ourselves when Jesus calls us to be so much more. Um, that, that we wouldn't settle for like a plateau of our faith and say, okay, this is where I'm at with Jesus. This is where I'm always going to be. But that we would be open to journey with Jesus no matter the cost. You know, let's not settle for, you know, a Christian exterior and just pursuing the things that we want to pursue. Let's pursue Christ first and see where he leads. And Jesus' point here is that a good life is harder to die to than a difficult one. A good life is hard to die to, uh, more, uh, more difficult to die to than, than one that's been, been hard. You know, when life is good, very few of us want it to be disrupted. Uh, very few of us want it to be challenged. We'd rather have Jesus be that addition rather than being the Lord and Savior of our lives, the one who's calling the shots. Um, but this is what we see in this encounter, and this is sort of the, the, the promise of this passage, is that what Jesus does here is he redefines personal prosperity. He redefines what it means to be a prosperous person. He, uh, he dismantles, you know, this, this guy's idea of prosperity, and he redefines it. And this is what he does. It, it, it says, basically what he shows him is that prosperity does not equal possessions plus performance. But what prosperity equals is presence, the presence of God in our lives. And that's where we find our prosperity. So prosperity doesn't equal possessions, meaning like what we have. It's not our stuff, our money, um, our family, our job, our influence, all those things. You know, those are things we possess. Those are things that we've, we've built. And it's also not our performance. It's not about our how, how we behave. We can't behave good enough for God. Um, you know, we can't earn anything through the way that we behave. You know, this young man was pretty impressive, and he had won the admiration of others based on the way he behaved. And the problem wasn't his behavior as much as his motivation behind it, is that he was trying to earn God's favor through what he did. He was trying to measure up. And the reason this young man walks away grieving is because he was really more about those first two things than the, than the presence of God. Prosperity for him meant having the possessions, meant performing instead of being close to Jesus. And Jesus gave him the invitation. He said, well, yeah, just sell that stuff and, and come follow me. And he couldn't. He was, he was gripped with that stuff, and so he walked away sad. Jesus gave him this opportunity uh, to have um, the prosperity of his presence, but he chose what he, he knew. And so I think that, you know, we should just take stock of where we're at. Where are we at with this? You know, if, if you think about your goals over the next five years, you know, are our, our, our goals to get more stuff? Are our goals to increase our, our performance or are our goals to, to be closer to Christ, to grow as a disciple, to love our neighbor more? 
uh, to pray for our community? Is it more about being transformed and seeing community transformed, or is it more about like growing our bank account and that sort of thing? You know, maybe we should be setting goals like living a deeper prayer life, like having a deeper prayer life, like getting up every morning and spending time with God, praying for God to change us and change our community. Um, I, I was listening to this church planner in London talk about how um, they planted a church in one of the most difficult neighborhoods in London, um, which is one of the most secular cities in the world. And he said, you know, uh, it, and it was really successful. And the reason why it was successful, it wasn't, it wasn't because they were smarter than everyone. It wasn't because they impressed everyone. He said the battle was won in prayer. The battle was won when they just committed. They took a group of people and they just committed to be in prayer, committed to pray for the, the presence of God. You know, what if we made goals more around that? Like, hey, let's get together and pray for our community. Pray that God would show up. And prosperity in the presence of God is what Jesus is offering to this young man here. That prosperity is only found in relationship to him. And that real prosperity comes when we allow Jesus to change us from the inside out. Because that prosperity is God changing your life, that you would bear fruit in him, that you would have the goodness and gentleness of God pouring out of you, that you'd have the love of God pouring out of you, that your home would be ruled by the peace of Jesus, and that there wouldn't be a wave big enough that could topple your faith, like you would be secure and strong in the presence of God. You know, but that's the question. Where will you seek prosperity? Um, this week I read this really old book called The Imitation of Christ. It was written by a 15th century German priest, and I just was, uh, it just speaks so well to what we're talking about today. And if you want to know, like, how timeless and consistent Jesus is and following Jesus is, read stuff from 600 years ago. Because it's like, this speaks right to my heart today. And, like, you know, just, it's, it's pretty cool. So I just want to read some of his words as he talks about what it is to be in the presence of Christ. So this guy's name is uh, Thomas Akempis. And he said this, when Jesus is near, all is well, and nothing seems difficult. When he is absent, all is hard. When Jesus does not speak within, all other comfort is empty. But if he says only a word, it brings great consolation. Have you experienced that in your life? When Jesus is near, when you feel him close to you, when you experience his presence, like Nothing seems difficult. It, you, we may still have difficulty in our lives, but we have security in God's presence. And maybe as the world around you was going crazy, your heart was calm. He goes, he goes on. He said, How dry and hard you are without Jesus. How foolish and vain if you desire anything but him. Is it not a greater loss than losing the whole world? For what without Jesus can the world give you? Life without Jesus, this is a pretty strong phrase, life without Jesus is a relentless hell, but living with him is sweet paradise. If Jesus be with you, no enemy can harm you. And man, I read that, I'm like, give me that kind of faith. Like, just to, to hang on to Jesus, 
no matter what. He's saying, apart from Jesus, even the things we think we have are difficult. Even the things that we think will provide for us may fail. So don't settle for that. Instead, find Jesus, find following Jesus, the presence of Jesus to be your paradise. Because he will bring a security and satisfaction that's deeper than any circumstance we may face. And then this is the last part. He says, he who finds Jesus finds a rare treasure. Indeed, a good above every good. Whereas he who loses him loses more than the whole world. The man who lives without Jesus is the poorest of the poor, whereas no one is so rich as the man who lives in his grace. Who, who are we going to choose? You know, the man who lives without Jesus is the poorest of the poor, the, whereas the one who's so rich, as no one is so rich as the man who lives in his grace. That we get to walk in the freedom of being close to the God who created us. And, you know, nothing's really changed in, like, the 600 years that, that he wrote this or the 2,000 years when we choose Jesus. We have a prosperity that lasts forever. The prosperity that we have right now fades away, but the one that, that uh, we build in Christ lasts forever. And Jesus alone wants to be what we treasure. He alone wants to be what we value. Um, that if we pursue all this stuff, but we lose Jesus, we lose everything. But do, is that what we want? Is that what we want? You know, Jesus shows us that wealth can be very deceptive. It can be a very deceptive idol, that it, it can create this illusion that we're living a good life and we just need a little bit of Jesus when Jesus is saying, no, you actually still need to be transformed. Your heart needs to be changed. You know, like Thomas Akempis said, that life without Jesus is dry and hard and vain. Jesus may not be asking you to surrender all your wealth to him, but he does want all of your heart. He does want all of it under his control. Um, and so that means we lay down any entitlement that we have to any of our stuff. We lay down, you know, any entitlement to, to living the lifestyle that, that we want to live because following Jesus may cost us some of those things. Um, Dallas Willard said that being dead to self is the condition where the mere fact that I do not get what I want does not surprise me or offend me and has no control over me. That we should be so secure in, in walking with Jesus that if we lose you know, our stuff or something that, that it doesn't surprise us, it doesn't offend us, that our ultimate security is not in our circumstances, but in our Savior. Because we can have all this stuff, and then at the end of the day, ask that same question that this young man asked. What do I still lack? What is, missi what is missing? You know, I talked a little bit about um, trying to live a good life while I was in high school and kind of burning out a little bit. Um, and that really changed when I went to college. I, I got connected with a group of... Uh, uh, like a Christian community that, that really called me into a real love relationship with Christ. And it's like everything changed. All of a sudden, instead of like trying to live to please God in some way, I really just wanted to spend time with him. You know, instead of trying to measure up to everything, I could just fall back into his grace. I could just rest in his grace. Even when I made mistakes, I could fall back 
into his grace. And I remember just how God lit up my heart in that time, like driving home and thinking about all the things that God did, all the conversations I had had that week, and just like being in my car and shouting, yeah, God, like just so excited about what God's done. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd just be celebrating a lot and, and uh, get up and, and read, um, read scripture and pray with friends and stuff. And it just, God did a 180 on my heart during that season. And, you know, I got older and things happen. Like, as you get older, God adds more responsibilities to your plate, right? So, you know, um, he adds uh, marriage, jobs, moving, kids, all those, uh, all those things. And, you know, with all those added responsibilities, like our, um, you know, we like to, uh, we like to keep things, right? <laughs> like, we want to control and keep things. We like things the way they are. And so, as we as we get more, there's more of a desire to control and contain. And Jesus is sta- still saying, like, live life with an open hand. You know, be willing to give. Be willing to be generous. Uh, don't just conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Because if we lose Jesus, we lose everything. Like, he's the point. Our prosperity is found in, in being changed by him. And so as we close today, as, as the band comes back up, we're going to just ask that question. Do you want more of him? Do you want more of him? Imagine what it would look like if, if Jesus was more present in your life. Imagine having this prayer life that was vibrant, that where you were able to connect with God um, every morning, where you loved to spend time with God, where you got up and, and, and were just excited to spend time with him. You know, imagine what your family life could look like if Jesus was more present, if the peace of God ruled in your house. Um, I have three kids, and (laughs) the peace of God does not always rule in my house, Um, but we're trying. (laughs) Um, But imagine the, you know, how the walls of selfishness could erode if you just, um, in in your house between your your kids and your family, your wife, your, your husband, you know, your marriage could be more secure and satisfying because both of you are, are seeking him together. Um, your, your security wouldn't come from how much money's in the bank, but just in the, the fact that Jesus is present with you. You know, imagine what your neighborhood or your city could look like if Jesus was more present. Those neighbors who you worry about, those neighbors who you wish something could, could happen, like if Jesus showed up in your life and showed up in their lives, if Jesus was present in your neighborhood, like how he could transform things, how miracles could happen, how neighbors could take time for each other, love each other, pray for each other. You know, God's transformation would be evident all over town. But what it takes is making Jesus that one desire, the one desire of our heart. And when we have him, that's when we have everything. Let's pray. Jesus, I admit that like the, the rich young ruler, God, I want to bring all my stuff to you and, and try to impress you, God, by all the, all the stuff that I can do or all the things that I've done, God. Lord, I pray that you would just make me, make us desperate for you. 
Lord, that we wouldn't be as concerned about what we have to offer um, as much as just getting our heart in line with you, God. Would you transform our hearts? Would you touch our hearts this morning, God? Lord, that uh, we would desire to be near you. Lord, we desire to hear your voice, desire for you to speak into our lives, desire for you to, to touch us right where we're at, God. Lord, and if there are things that we, um, we love more than you, God, would you, um, would you reveal that this morning, God? If there's something that you desire for us to change, God, would you do that, Lord? We want to be more about your kingdom than, than our stuff. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would uh, you just help us to, to live that out, God, that we know that you bring hope, that you rescue, that no matter how we're living, God, that, that you are, are there, Father. You want to be with us. You want to connect with us. You want to heal us, Father. Lord, may you give us the courage and the faith to respond to that call to follow you. Lord, to count the cost of Lord, is there anything else that I love more than I love you? And Lord, would we be willing to just submit that to you this morning, God? So Jesus, be with us. Lift us up, God. Encourage us right where we're at, God. Speak hope into our lives, God. Lord, sometimes we look at this and it just seems like unattainable, God. But you love us enough to run after us. You love us enough, Jesus, to die for us, to die for our sins, God, to die so that we could be made whole, God, and we receive that this morning, God. Wherever we're at in the journey, I just pray that you would help us to move from that place in trusting you, God. Would you grow our faith? Would you grow our trust? Lord, would you help us find the hope of you, God, in our situation, in our circumstances, in our struggle?